All right, good morning one more time. So uh, over the last month, we've uh, been privileged to have really good speakers on Sunday. Not that Brandon doesn't do a great job, obviously, but it's nice for him to get a break every once in a while. It is Pastor Appreciation Month, so what a better way to say we appreciate it than take a, take a break. So, um, No, I kid, but we, we've been privileged. We've had great speakers, and all of them with the same message, really, which is that, what, that of the gospel, but also of what it means to be a missionary, how to be a missionary, and the importance of missions. And so uh, I'm pleased to be able to welcome up Dr. Jeff Orge. Uh, he is uh, not only a faithful husband, father, grandfather, uh, but also president of Gateway Seminary. He's been here in the past. Was, I think it's been about six or seven years. And uh, a great speaker. We were able to see him earlier this year at the uh, IMB training that we attended, some of the missions team and other people here in the church. And so uh, great message, great speaker, uh, great man. Really appreciate him being here. Uh, I think we don't recognize that sometimes. People come a long way to be here and, and and to speak with us and, and to share with us what the Lord is doing in their life and, and through missions. And so it's really, it's, uh, it's important, I think, to uh, appreciate that and say thank you. But um, also accomplished author uh, and, like I said, great speaker. So please come to the stage, Dr. George. Thank you. Would it be okay if I pray for a second? I'd love that. Father, we just thank you for uh, Dr. Orge being here. We thank you that you bring to us qualified men to be able to speak and proclaim from your word, Lord, that you're faithful to, to uh, your people, to your word, and making sure that we know what we need to know, Lord, to be uh, empowered by your spirit to go about your work and accomplish your will. So, Lord, speak through him, speak to us, help our hearts and our minds to be uh, attentive and open to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, where in just a moment I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that will be the basis for today's message. And then I'd invite you to keep your Bibles open in Matthew 9, because we'll be referencing the passage throughout the message. As I'm beginning today, I'll begin uh, with just one apology. I have had some significant congestion for the past two weeks. So I'm apologizing just once for any coughs, wheezes, or other weird noises that may come out during the preaching of this message. And then second, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me back. I've been to your church before, and it was an easy yes when the invitation came this time. It's a pleasure to go to a church that's focused on the mission of the gospel and committed to getting the good news of Jesus Christ all around the world. And that evidence is clear in your mission's emphasis this month, and it's my privilege to contribute to it this morning. You've established your theme as having a heart for the harvest. And when I first heard that theme, I thought immediately of a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9, which for me has always encapsulated what it means to have a heart for the harvest. Because in the centerpiece of this passage, there is a word which I think captures what you're trying to accomplish during this season in the life of your church. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. The Bible says Jesus going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected 
like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The word at the center of this text in the middle of verse 36 is the word compassion. This is the word that connects us to your theme of having a heart for the harvest. Now, the problem is, in American vocabulary, the word compassion is often a soft word. It's a touchy-feely word. It, it's a word that reminds us of a Hallmark movie, and you're wondering how I know about that. I've been married for over 40 years. I've seen a few Hallmark movies. But in the Bible, the word compassion is not really a soft word. It's a word that has a gripping edge to it. The word compassion in the Bible literally means stirring in the bowels. It means a rumbling deep down inside of you. It means a compulsion that wells up inside of you and gushes forward with activity and with emphasis. Now, in our vocabulary today, we say this about the word anger. We say a person is seething with anger or they're boiling with anger. Now, don't misunderstand me. Compassion and anger are not the same thing. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that in the New Testament world, when someone used the word compassion, they meant something deep down within someone that's bubbling and moving and seething and pressing and prodding and urging them to get on with the action that compassion motivates. And in that way, I want you to see what, has, what the text teaches us this morning about what it means to be motivated by compassion with a heart for the harvest. Now, this passage teaches us, first of all, that compassion involves sharing your life with other people. Notice what it says. Jesus continued. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. This phrase that Jesus went through the towns and villages implies two things. One, he was present with people. Jesus was not touring these towns and villages in the Pope Mobile, an insulated uh, 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 vehicle uh, with uh, bulletproof glass and hermeneutic, hermeneutically sealed so that there could be no air contamination. No, Jesus was out walking among people in these towns and villages. And notice that it's a continuing process here, meaning that there was some time involved. Jesus didn't just parachute into a town or a village. No, he was spending days, if not weeks, if not months in towns and villages in personal connection with people that he was trying to reach. Jesus invested both presence and time with people. You say, well, what might that have looked like? Well, the text tells us, if you'll back up with me in earlier part of verse 9, excuse me, of chapter 9, 
In verse 18, we see Jesus encountering a woman whose daughter has just died. And on the way to deal with that person, in verse 20, he meets a woman who's hemorrhaging with blood, and he heals her. Then Jesus moves on to the woman who's lost the daughter and restores the daughter to life. And if that's not enough, he continues on in verse 27, encountering two blind men who call out and ask for mercy, and Jesus touches their eyes and heals them. And then moving on in verse 32, he encounters a demon-possessed man and casts out that demon. This is what Jesus was doing when he was moving from town to town and village to village. He's touching a woman with a hemorrhage and healing her. He's resuscitating a little girl who had died. He's encountering two blind men and giving them back their sight. He's running into a demoniac and delivering him from that devil possession that had oppressed his life. Jesus is involved. It says in verse 35, continued through Jesus is continually involved in touching the lives of people, spending time among them, making a difference with them, in doing the kinds of things I'm describing to you just now. Listen, your compassion for the harvest is both demonstrated by and intensified by the time you spend reaching out to hurting people. Look, the harvest is not going to be reached with people like us, with people like us having a distant engagement or a distant interest in the gospel getting to people. No, it's going to be involved when people like us get our hands dirty, reaching out to people who need to hear about Jesus. It's hands-on work, my friends. It's hands-on work in your community, and it's hands-on work around the world. Listen, that video we saw earlier in this service about that couple in Argentina, did you listen carefully to what they're doing there with the gospel and with earning the opportunity to share the gospel? Trekking and hiking and biking and paddling and rowing and climbing and serving food and making a place for people to sleep and meeting their practical needs. Listen, this is hands-on work with the gospel. Hands-on work. Listen, I have felt the same way on a number of meetings that I've attended over the years and wished, oh, wish someone would carry me out while I was crying, but that didn't always happen for me. Maybe we should stop and pray, but I'm not sure if it's for the little one or for the daddy. We'll have to see which one. You will not really have compassion for the harvest until you invest yourself in the lives of hurting people and allow them to get close enough to you that you feel the pain they're experiencing, see the lostness that they're living with, and understand how deeply they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I give you a little way to remember this this morning? Just write these four, word, these four letters down. The word A-R-M-S, arms. This helped me a number of years ago to understand that if I'm going to demonstrate compassion by being with people, I'm going to have to get my arms around them. Here's some ways that helps me. The first one is I have to accept people as they are. 
I've got to get over my judgmental attitude about people who are rejecting the gospel and everything I stand for, and my judgmental attitude about people who've damaged their lives by their own bad choices, and my judgmental attitudes about people who stand up and speak out against everything I stand up and speak for, and recognize that if I'm going to reach those people with the gospel, I've got to accept them as they are. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want them to change, but I've got to accept them before they change, not after. Does that make sense to you this morning? I've got to accept them as they are and recognize that what they really need is not a political statement. What they need is not a social statement. What they really need is not an argumentative attitude for me. What they really need is the gospel. And I have to accept them as they are and get the gospel to them. Secondly, reaching them where they are. You know, we've degenerated mission today in many American churches to invite a friend to church. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But my friends, if we're waiting for people to come here before we engage them with the gospel, we are going to engage a very, very small number of people with the gospel. You know that most people in your community today are not going to anybody's church? They're just not. They're not even thinking about going to anybody's church. They didn't get up this morning and feel guilty about not going to church. They didn't get up this morning and feel like they missed out on something that they didn't go. It never crossed their minds. Do you know that I would likely not be standing here today if a church waited for me to come to church to hear the gospel? Do you know where I heard the gospel? At the fair. I was a teenage boy, and a church like yours had a vision for taking the gospel to their community, and the largest event in their community each year was a regional fair. The church secured a booth at the fair and put a sign up that said, Public Opinion Poll. And they invited people to come and take a survey about community interests and community needs and also about spiritual interests. And people lined up and wanted to talk to them at the fair booth. And I wandered into the mid, off the midway into the exhibit building and saw that booth and recognized it as a church I knew the name of in our community. Walked up and said, what are you guys doing at the fair? And they said, well, we're surveying people and getting their opinion about current events and spiritual issues. Would you like to take our survey? Well, I was 13 and proud of my opinion, so I said, sure, I would. But about 20 or 30 minutes later in that surveying process, they were sharing the gospel with me, and there that day at the fair, I prayed and committed my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. At the fair. Why? Because a church had a vision for going on mission with the gospel, accepting people where they are and reaching people where they are taking the gospel into the community and making sure that people had access to it, and then M, meeting needs as you find them. Accepting people as they are and relating to them on their terms or reaching them where you find them and meeting their needs. A number of years ago, when we were a young couple, another young couple moved in across the street from us. We barely got a chance to get acquainted with them. We had small children. They had baby twins, so we weren't able to spend a lot of time together. After just a few months of that, one morning I opened the newspaper. That was a thing they used to deliver to your house. It was printed on paper. Came in. I opened the newspaper, and the front page said, Local man killed in railroading accident. And in that industrial accident the night before, our cross-the-street neighbor had been killed, leaving his wife and two twin babies. 
I told my wife what had happened, and I'll never forget her response. She said, I've got to do something. So she put together just a little dish of food and walked across the street and said, Helen, we hardly know each other, but I'll do anything I can to help you. What do you need? And my wife met her needs and served her, and about six months later, we led her to faith in Jesus and baptized her. Why? Because my wife had the courage to meet her need with just a little dish and saying, if all you need right now is a little food and childcare, I'll give it to you. Whatever you need, I'll do right now to try to help you. And in that process, I'll share the gospel with you. And then ESS, serving people in practical ways, as I've just illustrated. So when I talk about demonstrating compassion by being with people, by spending time among people, and by taking ministry to them as Jesus models for us in this passage, I'm talking about you getting your arms around people by accepting people where they are, reaching them where you find them, meeting their needs and serving them in practical ways. And as you do these things, you will be both demonstrating the compassion of Jesus to people, but listen, you'll also be fueling the compassion of Jesus growing in your life because you will see the real needs of people and find yourself connecting with them on a deep and meaningful way. But not only did Jesus uh, demonstrate compassion by being with people, but he also did it another way, and that is by sharing the, the good news of the kingdom, or we could say it this way, the gospel with them. Notice what it says, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news about the kingdom. <laughs> you know, in our world today, there's a need not only to meet the needs of people, as I've been describing, but also to tell them the truth about the gospel. One of the saddest things that happens in our world today is shying away from telling people the truth about their situation because we're afraid of offending them, or worse, we're afraid of being attacked for what we say. But my friends, listen. It is not compassionate or loving to allow people to live in the midst of error and not tell them the truth. I wrote this a few weeks ago in another context, and I was describing the warped words that our world is now teaching about gender and morality and sexuality and marriage. Peter, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, warns about using and twisting these words and concepts for our own damage. And then I wrote this. The saddest part of misusing Scripture on these issues and other important topics is the ultimate end, destruction. Lives are ruined when, ruined when the Word of God is flaunted. Those of us who teach the Bible's plain meaning are often marginalized as uncaring and intolerant, but the opposite is actually true. We love people so much, we are willing to be ridiculed for telling them the truth. We can't stand idly by while people are propelled toward catastrophe by sweet-sounding error. When false teachers win the day, whether culturally elite media personalities or well-educated preachers, we see people eventually destroyed. And then I concluded by writing this, no truly caring person can tolerate such dastardly abuse. 
we are compelled to speak the truth. Listen, my friends, Jesus went around caring deeply for people, but he also did something else. He was teaching and preaching the good news about the kingdom. And so we have to do the same thing. While we get our arms around people and demonstrate compassion and have compassion fueled in our hearts because of the way that we're engaging with people, we are also in the process of doing that, telling them the truth. God loves you. Your sin is separating you from God. You need to repent of your sin and place faith in Jesus. And if you'll do that, he'll give you the gift of salvation and change your life forever. And that's the truth. And we have to tell people that truth. My friends, if you make a commitment to telling people that truth in this culture today, you will be ridiculed, made fun of, called names. You'll be considered intolerant, the worst cuss word that can be used in American culture these days. But the Bible is clear. Compassion motivates both caring action and honest words that help a person understand what the Bible teaches and calls them to a better life than the world we're living in is offering them today. Well, the passage continues by teaching us another thing about compassion, and that is compassion also comes from seeing people as Jesus saw that, sees them. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, as I've been preaching, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds differently than others saw them, or perhaps they even saw themselves. Jesus looked out across these hordes of people that were coming around him, and he saw them as distressed and dejected. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And because of that, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. Something about seeing people as they really are touches us deeply. Now, let me tell you something about most of us. We're fairly superficial. We see the surface. And we often make snap judgments based on our surface impressions. Let me give you some examples I'm not proud of. When I was a young pastor, our church had some major construction going on in front of its facility, and for a while we were diverted out a back parking lot and down a side street and out an alley to get to the main thoroughfare. One day I jumped in my car, went down that back, or went out that back exit, down that street, down that alley, came to a stop sign. And I looked over to my right, and I saw what I believed was the ugliest woman I'd ever encountered. Stooped shoulders sagging skin, wrinkled, hooked nose. She had on 
work gloves, a plaid jacket and striped pants, galoshes for boots, and a rake. And she was out there working her yard. When I arrived at that stop sign and looked over at her, I remember thinking, that may be the ugliest woman I've ever seen. And then, as plainly as I'm speaking to you right now, I heard this voice say to me, well, she's pretty enough my son died for her. And I remember sitting at that stop sign with tears starting down my cheeks, put my head down and said, dear God, forgive me for being so superficial and callous that I would look only at a person's external appearance and forget to look at who they really are and how much you truly love them. That was a heartbreaking moment for me that happened a long time ago and still reverberates in my mind regularly as I see people and find myself making a snap judgment because when I see them, I think I know about them and I can make everything out about them just by the sign they're carrying, the clothes they're wearing, the words coming out of their mouth, the kind of car they're driving, or something about them. I make a snap judgment about them and it's usually a negative judgment because I'm a superficial jerk that only looks at the outward and forgets that God made every single person in the world in his image and wants everyone to have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. <clears throat> Number of years after that, I met another woman. And this woman may have been the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. This was a woman who competed at the highest levels of international beauty pageants. But that day when I met her, rather than being distracted by the superficiality that was so easily uh, evident in the moment, I remember looking into her eyes and seeing the pain there and wondering if anyone had ever reached out to her with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of that story is a few months later, on a park bench in Denver, Colorado, I led her to faith in Jesus Christ. My wife later had a profound influence in her life as a discipling woman. But I often thought about that second woman and wondered how quickly and easily it would have been for me to dismiss her as beautiful, attractive, wealthy, successful, and to forget the superficiality of that situation could have easily distracted me from the other extreme of realizing she needed what? The gospel message of Jesus Christ. Listen, how you see people changes the way you relate to them. Another story about this, a young man that uh, had a close relationship with me once asked me this question. He was a teenager and he was trying to figure some things out and also trying to get me riled up. He said, all right, I want to ask you a question. I said, all right. He said, what's wrong with going to a strip club? He said, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm, 
Uh, nobody's coercing the people that, that are there. The women that are doing that are doing it voluntarily. They're up on that stage because they want to be. They're making money at what they do. I don't see what the problem is. Now, in that moment, what I wanted to do was bring out the 16-inch guns and just start blasting away at him as I'm prone to do in an argumentative way. But God whispered something in my heart, and I gave him a different answer. I knew this young man. I knew his family. And so I turned to him, and I said, I'll tell you why we can't go. Because that girl up there, that's somebody's sister, somebody's daughter. You can't objectify her because she's a person. And he looked at me and just smiled and said, all right, I agree with that. I'm not going either. What changed his mind? What changed his mind was I shifted his perspective, and he saw a person for who they really were, and it changed his heart, didn't it, toward what he was thinking. Look, I'm challenging you this morning to see people as they really are, like Jesus sees them, distressed and dejected without, like sheep without a shepherd. How do you see people? You turn on Fox News and what do you see? Oh, I don't want them on my TV. I can't believe they live in our country. I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way they act. I hate their sign. I don't like their politics. That's because you're looking at the superficial and you're not seeing people who are distressed and dejected and need a savior more than anything else in the world. You go to work with people. You go to school with people. You live in a community with people. And you look around them and you see them doing things. They're involved in drugs and alcohol. They're involved in pornography and they're involved in, uh, in other activities that are, that are distracting and diminishing their lives and harming them. And, and, and you just want to reach out and, and, and scream, what's wrong with all you people? because you're superficially distracted by the behaviors and their attitudes and their actions. And you forget what they really are, is distressed and dejected people who are sheep without a savior. And I'm challenging you this morning, church, whether it's a person you work with or a person halfway around the world you're supporting missionaries to reach, remember who people really are. And don't be distracted by the superficiality of it. Whether they're the most beautiful or the least attractive person you've ever seen, whether their actions, their attitudes, their politics, their dress, their behaviors, whether all of that is offensive to you is beside the point. The point is at the core, they're people who need Jesus. And we gotta put all this other stuff away and get back to that priority. And then finally, this compassion motivates us here at the end to move into the harvest. Notice how Jesus ends this passage. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send out workers into the harvest. This is following God's own example in John 3.16 where he said he loved the world so much that he sent his son. Now he's saying here, I want you to love people so much that you'll go out there and reach them with the gospel. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send out workers into the harvest. Well, I want you to do two things this morning. I want you to pray 
that more people move into the harvest. No problem, right? Okay, get ready for the second part. I want you to be the answer to your own prayer. I want you to be the answer to your own prayer. You say, well, no, I don't want to do that now. I want to pray for other people to go out into the harvest. No, that's not how this works. It says you pray for more workers to go into the harvest, and I want you to be the answer to your own prayer. You say, well, where do you get that in the Bible? We'll turn over to chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus just told these fellows, pray for more workers to go to the harvest. And then he says, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Names them all in verses two through four. And then look at verse five. Jesus sent out these 12. (laughs) He says to them, pray for more people to join you in the harvest. They probably had a prayer meeting right away. I can just imagine it. Peter's saying, hey, let's pray right now. Thomas saying, well, I want to think about it a little while. No, 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 we're going to pray right now. James and John saying, well, who's going to be in charge of the prayer meeting? We like being the first of the line here. Now, wait a minute. Okay, I don't know how all that went down. But Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that more people will go to the harvest. And they prayed. I don't think it's reading too much in to think that they prayed right then. Yes, Lord. And then Jesus finished that prayer meeting and said, okay, here you fellows go. I'm going to pair you off now, and I'm going to send you out there. Because you are the answer to your own prayer. Church, missions is not something other people do. It's something we all do. Now, some of us change geography, like the family that went to Argentina. But changing geography doesn't define the mission. Missions is something we do. Every one of us finding a way to do what? Invest ourselves in people that need to hear the gospel, sharing the gospel with them just as Jesus modeled in this passage being motivated by compassion to see people as they really are, distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd, and then praying, God, send more people to the harvest. And God said, okay, I'll send one. I'll send you. Yes, Lord, I'm praying for more people to go to the harvest. I'm praying for more people to be engaged in missions. I'm praying for more people to be committed to reaching out to people in the name of Jesus and sharing his gospel, Lord. I'm praying for more people to do that and then be the answer to your own prayer. And if you do that, you will be demonstrating a heart for the harvest. Let's bow our heads together. With heads bowed now, I want you to just reflect for a moment on this message, and then I'm going to lead us to pray, and then your prayer partners will be here if you'd like to come and pray with someone this morning. Would you pray this morning and ask God to help you see people as they really are? Would you ask him to move you beyond the superficiality of seeing people's appearance or behaviors or politics or social standing or economic achievement? Would you ask God to help you see people as they really are? 
Oh, I know your boss is a jerk. Your brother-in-law is a moron. Your people that live across the street from you are hard, bad neighbors. I get all this. But you're looking at the superficial. I'm asking you just now to say, Lord, give me compassion by helping me see people as they really are. And then would you pray and say, Lord, help me get my arms around these people. Accept them as they are, reach them where they are, meet their needs, serve them in practical ways. Lord, help me do this. And then give me the courage to also tell them the truth about the gospel and their need for a life change. Now, if you're praying this way this morning, would you also now have the courage to pray this last thing that Jesus instructed, and that is pray for more workers in the harvest. Pray that God will call your children to missions and to the mission field. Pray that God will use your family to make sacrifices for the gospel to advance around the world. Pray for more workers. And then, and then have the courage to pray, Lord, make me the answer to my own prayer. Father, I thank you. About 45 years ago, I said yes to you and committed my life to be on mission with the gospel. Thank you for a good life of fulfilling service, getting the gospel to more and more people. Move across this room now and motivate everyone here to pray that same prayer. Lord, use me in your harvest. And then, Lord, give them the courage to be the answer to their own prayer. And we receive it from you today in Jesus' name. Amen.